you you are stacking all those positive priming moments. Now, on the flip side, what people are doing usually in a workday is first they look at the news, which actually makes you 20 to 30% less productive. And then when they say they have a bad day, I challenge whether they had a bad day because what you had is you had a bad moment. This is the Rebel HR Podcast. If you're a professional looking for innovative, thought-provoking information in the world of human resources, this is the right podcast for you. All right, Rebel Human Resources listener, I am extremely pumped up for today's show. We've got a great guest with some fascinating innovations uh, that I think you should listen to. So I'd like to introduce you all to Jeff Harry. Uh, Jeff shows individuals and companies how to tap into their true selves to feel their happiest and most fulfilled all by playing. Uh, He's got a bunch of uh, awesome results behind his name, Uh, top 100 HR influencers by Engagedly, uh, top HR influencers to watch by Bamboo HR. I don't have enough time to read them all, so I am going to let uh, Jeff talk about some of that. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm super amped. Me too. Me too. I think this is perfect. It's been a uh, it's been an interesting year, uh, yeah. 2020, and it, it'll be nice to focus on some some fun. Yeah. Uh, with us uh, with us today is Molly, uh, our uh, our esteemed uh, co-host, and she will be uh, asking some questions as well. So uh, let's get started. All right. All right, Jeff. So. Um, I will uh, I will let you give our listeners a little bit of your background. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Sure. So I'll tell you my like Batman origin story. Um, so love do it. You remember, do you remember the movie Big with Tom Hanks? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, I love that movie with the you put the the thing in the game and then he he grew up. Right, he grew up. So what am I? So I saw that movie in third grade and Tom Hanks literally dances up on a piano and then they offer him a job to work in the toy industry. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, dude, that is exactly what I'm going to do with my life. So I started writing toy companies in third grade and I just did not stop. Um, and, uh, they, most of the time I just get rejection letters back because I think they thought I was older than I actually was. Um, and, <laughs> Um, a company just wrote me back one time and was like, you should go into mechanical engineering. And I really should not have listened to them, but that's what I did. So I did that, graduated, and then got in the toy industry. And I don't know if you've ever gotten what you've always wanted and then been so disappointed when you get there. But like, <laughs> that's what was happening. I was in a cubicle. The walls were padded, which you're like, why are these walls padded? You know, you know, no fun, no play, no adults that are high-fiving, you know, uh, no toys, no kids. And I was like, what am I doing here? And I remember having my little quarter-life crisis, moving from New York to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, um, and then, you know, piddling around for a little bit and then bumping into an organization that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. And they basically were just playing for a living, paying 150 bucks a week, like a joke of a job, but they were playing. And I was like, I want to get paid to play. Um, So I stuck with them and we grew it into like the largest Lego inspired STEM organization, like in the US. But the way we did it was we just played. Like we had no idea what we were doing. We made it up as we went along. We picked cities because we thought they were fun. We had no business plan. You know, we hired people because they were fun. We experimented. We failed miserably all the time. But we got so big in the Bay Area. At one point, we were teaching 100,000 kids a year um, that uh, Silicon Valley started to pay attention to us. Facebook, Google, Adobe, you know, Netflix, all of them. Um, and they wanted us to run team building events. And we were like, yeah, of course we run team building events, even though we didn't. We just said yes to everything, right? It's <laughs> like, of yep. course we do. Yes, we've been doing that for years. Um, and then uh, for the next like eight, nine years, I ran team building events for like the some of the top tech companies like in the world. But, you know, at the same time that they talked about innovation, disruption, agile, all those buzzwords, right? They had not created a safe, psychologically, you know, comfortable work environment for people to play and take risks. And the reason why is they weren't having the harder conversations. Like, 
how to deal with toxicity at work, how to address racism at work, how to deal with office politics, how to have a hard conversation, how to get your staff in flow, like all of that, how to deal with your inner critic. So I created Rediscover Your Play as a way of combining positive psychology and play to tackle um, some of a company's biggest, most challenging issues. So um, you got exactly what you wanted and you hated every minute of it. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just recalling the movie. So basically the people who were classified as the bad guys yep. were like just like what it's actually like to work in corporate America. Right, exactly, right. Because like you never know, right? Like you you always dream it's going to be amazing. And then you get to corporate America and you are like, where did all the – why is everyone's energy just being sucked out of them? Like your soul is being sucked out of you. I remember once I left a, a job in a dramatic way. There was this Kaiser Permanente like hospital job. You know, I was like just doing admin work or something there. I quit right on the spot. And I remember as I was leaving, I looked at a bunch of my former colleagues, former, right? Um, and they were like, what are you doing? Why, where are you going? Why are you leaving? And I was like, we just spoke last week about how you've been wanting to leave for five years. I'm just taking your advice and doing it instead of like dying a slow death here, you know? But they were like, no, stay with us. Stay in the suffering. And I'm like, nah, dude, I'm good. I am good. And I think that was the last cubicle job, yeah, I ever had. Good for you for taking that leap. Most people don't. I know. It's so sad. It really is. It really is. I just remember, you know, if we're talking movies here, the the one that resonates the most with me is Office Space. Oh yes. Oh, but it's it's movie. like love that I love that movie. I still love that movie. I still watch clips every week. Once in a while, I'll just watch clips of of him when he like uh, talks to the two HR guys that are letting everyone go. <laughs> and he's like, I do basically like seventeen minutes of work a week. <laughs> Middle management potential. Yes. <laughs> I'm not great at movie quotes or anything, but the movie that's sticking out to the time of year is Office Christmas Party. Oh, oh I- yeah. You're the crazy <laughs> HR lady, Molly, for sure. Yes. See, I need to watch that. I haven't seen that. <laughs> when you're in HR, it's, it's great. That's a, that, you know, that I think that is probably the most um, accurate depiction of an HR professional that I've seen on screen. <laughs> Yeah, um, and yeah. If, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's uh, if you're in HR, it's required viewing. But okay, uh, don't watch. Uh, let's it with just your say, kids. okay, I need to watch. Uh, it. Molly, you describe it. <laughs> don't watch it with your kids. Don't well, no, I, no. I I heard it's quite raunchy. <laughs> Very much so, but it's fun. Which, it's a fun which is great because this year, like people are doing it virtual, so we're not going to have as many of those issues. As long as everybody wears pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's asking a lot. That's asking a lot. Okay, Jeff. So you had said um, you started doing team building events. Yeah. I know there's a lot of organizations that, of course, they want to do a team building event. They're always looking for things. But I also feel like a lot of organizations get it wrong. Where yeah. where, and why do people get it wrong? And, and what is your advice? What's your best team builder? Yeah. So I, I actually stopped doing like the stuff I now do, you know, I actually stopped doing team building events because I felt like they were, you know, they're just kind of like bowling, right? Like they're like, hey, you feel good for just a little bit. And then you, you know, then you go back to whatever you're doing. And I think, I think where people get it wrong, um, companies get it wrong is they bring some team building organization in and then they are thinking like afterwards, everything is going to just change, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and the fact is, is if you're not taking risks and like trying to have hard conversations or trying to go somewhere with it, then it's just going to be something happy. Like, you know, like, I don't know, like going to play pool or ping pong, which is totally fine. And, and people connect that way as well, but you're not really going to go like deep, Right. So I think people have to adjust their expectations of what they actually expect from a team building event. Yeah, I actually, I I am not a big fan of like the let's do the one off like trust falls in the office right, and right. you know like I I every time I've tried to do something like that in my career, um, everybody has literally like they hear it and they're like, ugh, yeah. <laughs> Like, well, why, why do people say that? They do that because it's forced fun, 
right? Like the, right. Whole, the whole idea of play, you know, if you think about it in a playground, a kid has the option to play or not play. You know, they have the option to do whatever they want. They could just observe from the sidelines. But with, I think, a lot of team building events, you know, and, and a lot of times when like the HR staff's like, we're going to we're going to become a team. You know, like I know we haven't talked at all the whole year, but now this hour we're going to all get along. It's just like, dude, this is just come on, man. Like I remember <laughs> once I remember once running a team building event for a biomedical company that shall not be named. Um, and it was at a winery. And this is when I was still doing the, the Lego gig. And I remember during the team building event where they're all building something together, right? And then the boss turns to everyone. And he goes, get away. Everyone move back. I got this. And he just moved like 20 VP executives that are like managing multi-million dollar, if not billion dollar deals. And was just like, everyone move away. I'm going to work on this by myself. So 20 people who were at the winery just started, you know, drinking wine because they're like, well, I don't want to hang out with this guy. And then during the debrief, we were like, what happened there? And he goes, well, the reason why I had to do that was because like, I have a lot of experience with Lego, you know, so like, that's why I had to step up. And it was like, oh my gosh, guys, like, this, <laughs> this is it. This is the problem. I can't help you with this. I can't, I can't like, th this is deep seated. So you know, that was part of the reason why I started Rediscover Your Play because I was like, yo, we need to talk about toxicity at work. We need to talk about office politics. Like we need to have that hard conversation because right now we're just tiptoeing around it and it sucks. The elephant in the room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you do that? Oh, uh, which, which one? Talking about office politics or toxic people? Because I can get into the toxic people. If you like. <laughs> How do you I love me a toxic person? Yeah. <laughs> Give all the good stories. <laughs> you do get all the good stories. So here I'll go through like the brief, you know, because we go through a, a bunch of different steps. So I think, you know, whenever I'm talking about toxic people, um, we have to first put it into context, right? Like I ran this workshop it's called dealing with a-holes at work through play. Like that literally is the name of the workshop. And I did it with my friend Gary Ware, and we never thought anyone would say yes to this, right? Like why would anyone say yes to it? But we applied to some of the top conferences like like in the country, and then, and then they were like, yes, we need this. So then we were like, oh, sweet. So then we like traveled to Australia to do it. And we did it right before, you know, right before quarantine. And while we were running it in Australia, like people were both laughing and crying during the workshop. But the main reason they were doing that is because a lot of them did not realize that, that they, they thought they were the only ones. They thought that they were the only ones that left a job because of a toxic person. And then we shared like this study done by Sherm about how, like I think October 2019, they did this study where... $223 billion has been lost by Fortune 500 companies alone just in the last five years due to toxic people. And they, these are only the companies that are willing to admit it, right? So it must be even a larger amount of money, but $223 billion freaking dollars. So it's just like, why are we letting toxic people just like run amok at our companies, right? So, you know, when we run the workshop, we're like, first, it's like, listen, this is all about setting boundaries and like being very clear about them. So our first suggestion, this is, we go from easiest to hardest, right? So easiest is that toxic person is taking up a lot of time in meetings, right? They're sucking the energy, sucking the soul out of the meeting. They're talking 60 to 80% of the meeting. So I always recommend like, listen, we got to start organizing, right? So, hey, Kyle, Molly, the next time you're speaking up and that guy cuts you off, I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 Chad. Sorry, if your name's Chad, I'm sorry, but I'm going to use you as the a-hole in this, in this example. Hey, Chad, you know, Kyle was still sharing something. Like, can we hear what he has to say? Molly, you know, wait, can we hear more from Molly? Because if Molly hasn't been able to speak up yet, you know, and, and we start to occupy the meeting back. And this is something you do over the next three to six months where you are slowly taking over, right? And not letting this person dominate the meeting. So that's the easiest one. The second one is actually confronting that toxic person like head on. And that's not confronting them and attacking their behavior, but you are, or, or not attacking their um, character, but you are addressing their behavior and the impact that it's having. 
So I'd be like, hey, Chad, you know, when you cut off Molly, when she was in the middle of saying something, you know, not only were you communicating that you didn't want to hear from her, but you were also communicating to Kyle and myself and all, everyone else here that you didn't want to hear what we had to say. Is that the intent? Was that your intent? You know, because that's the impact you're having. And then just see, because a lot of toxic people are like engineers that just have bad communication skills and they might not know, right? But say, for example, they're like, hey, man, F you. I'll do whatever I want. My name's Chad. Okay, all right. <laughs> Let's deal with it. So then the next thing, obviously, is like not just approaching their supervisor or their supervisor's supervisor if they're, you know, a-holes. But, but when you approach them, approaching it from the, the context of what impact they're having. It's just like, listen, I know Chad is the brilliant jerk. He brings in $700,000 a year right? In revenue or whatever that case may be. Simon Sinek talks a lot about how the brilliant jerk is never wanted on the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs will never take the bravest person. They'll never take the most athletic or the smartest because if they're the brilliant jerk, they're going to destroy the team, right? So when you say, hey, Chad has been bringing in all these revenue, but he's also caused three people to quit which actually has cost us a million dollars. We're actually losing $300,000 by keeping Chad. So can we address this person's behavior because he's causing this impact? And when you say it like that, then they really have a choice. Like, are we going to, you know, go with the values that we claim we say we're doing? Or are they going to be hypocritical at that point and, and, and support Chad? And if they support Chad at that point, you know, maybe this is not the right place for you. But then the hardest way of dealing with a toxic person is you actually have to address your own inner Chad, your own inner toxic person, your own inner a-hole, like your own inner, you know, critic, right? Because there's a reason why tr Chad tr triggers you. Maybe you think you're an imposter. Maybe you think you shouldn't get paid as much as him. Maybe you think you shouldn't be speaking up at work, right? Or at a meeting. But if you're like, wait a minute, like, no way, dude. Like, Chad's an idiot. Like, I definitely should be his boss. I definitely should be paid double his salary. You know, I definitely am not an imposter. Like, I kick ass at this job. And you actually believe that? The next time Chad is super rude to you, you just turn to him and you're just like, Chad, don't ever speak to me in that way. And then once they do that, it's just like, oh, Molly just stepped up to Chad. And then Kyle's like, man, I'm going to step up to Chad. And then Jeff's like, I'm stepping up to Chad too. I'm not going to tolerate this. And then all of a sudden, everyone's stepping up to Chad and he has a choice. He either changes his behavior and get his, gets his stuff together, his shit together, or he leaves. And that's what's happening because you're sucking the energy out of that toxic person. Damn, Chad. I know. <laughs> Molly, I have a question for you. Am I Chad? Because oh, <laughs> no. I'm sitting <laughs> You do interrupt me thinking, quite a bit. Oh. <laughs> I, I do interrupt. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to be the one to shut up. <laughs> no. We all got a little Chad in us, maybe. We all yeah, got a little Chad yeah. in us. <laughs> sorry to any listener named Chad. It's yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I actually wrestle with this a lot. Like, do you think Chad is toxic? at the core, like most of the time, can you change a Chad? Um, do they change? You, can, or do you they can, you can change a Chad. The question is, is how long are you willing to tolerate it? Right. I had a Chad at one of my jobs. He didn't change for five years. Like, like he had to be reprimanded numerous times and it was about to the point where he was going to get fired. And then he, he got help, you know, then he like started seeing a therapist and addressing stuff. But like, if you're willing to put in that work, you know, or like setting that boundary. But I think also we all want to be the hero in our story. So we want Chad to be the villain. And sometimes mm -hmm. Chad isn't the villain, right? Like sometimes he just like sucks at communicating. So we have to just be careful of like what story we're telling ourselves and have a certain level of empathy. Like when we run this workshop, we actually have people act out that inner Chad, just to feel what is it like to be that person? Like some people are like, Ooh, I like it. And others are like, Oh, get this off me. Like I never want to be this mean. Right. But it's interesting just to put yourself in that person's shoes. Right. And then, and then we practice actually role playing. Like how would you have this hard conversation with this person? Because guess what? It's not just going to be one conversation. It's going to be one over and over again for like over a year before you finally maybe make some inroads. 
I see this a lot with leaders. So they bring on like a new hire and they're just not performing where they need to perform. So leaders are instantly like, well, this guy doesn't give a crap or this Chad is, he's not a good fit. Chad's being a jerk instead of truly asking the hard questions to themselves or admitting that they can't get Chad where he needs to go. Right. Right. You know? Right. And I think about, you know, just in the context of, you know, personal experience, a lot of these people, Chad's, um, are jerks because they're, they've been rewarded. Exactly. exactly. Exhibit that behavior, either be aggressive and drive sales yep. and be pushy. Yep. And they get the promotions and the raises and the recognition. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's where like you have to slowly change that culture by, by, by challenging that. Right. I know so many salespeople that are just like that. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. that works in certain realms, but I remember talking to this one guy and he knew it. He was just like, yeah, I know I'm an a-hole. I don't really care. And I know it's just like, well, do you know the impact you're having? He's like, look, it works. And as long as it works, I'm going to keep doing it. So everyone else has to make it seem, make it so that it doesn't work anymore. Right. Like they, they keep getting rewarded for that. They keep getting their bonuses, even though they get complaints all the time. So why should they change? Right. So in HR, in the HR space, a lot of us sometimes, not me, but there are a lot of HR individuals that have to deal with the Chad that is, let's say, the CEO. Yeah. Would your advice change or be any different for that HR individual? I think you have to, you have to weigh like what power dynamics exist because, I mean, we have to be careful sometimes, right? Because sometimes sometimes we don't want to speak up to the person because we're like, that person's just going to fire us. And that might be true or it might not be true. You have to, you have to gauge that for yourself. But if someone that is like a tenure, like has been part of HR for a while and can represent the group and knows that, you know, they have cover, right? They have other VPs that are going to vouch for them. So that even if that CEO snaps and is like, oh, get rid of Kyle because, you know, he challenged me, you know, you know, you're not going to get removed. Then then it's worth challenging that CEO. And then again, approaching it from the standpoint of like, listen, CEO, you know, our sales numbers right now, you know, we hit two million. I have a way in which we could probably hit two point five or three million which means your bonus is going to be much larger and the board of directors is going to love you. Do you want to know how to do that? And they're like, oh, why? Stop being such a dick. (laughs) Like, like, you know, like, hey, like, you know, this is super easy. Like, you know, and I even talk to team leaders all the time, you know, especially in this virtual space, people are already 85% disengaged from work. They must be even more disengaged now that they're at home, right? They might be even thinking about other jobs. But one quick thing you can do that would be amazing for your staff is to reach out to them one-on-one and be like, hey, you know, I know this has been a tough year. What is the work that you love to do most at this job? Like the work where you forget about time. Marcus Buckingham refers to it as the red thread work. Gay Hendricks refers to it as your zone of genius you know, that work that is just you, that frankly, if, if no one paid you, you'd still do this work, you know, and you ask them that, you know, okay, sweet. You love talking to clients. You love connecting with people. What percentage of time do you currently do that? Oh, only 15%. Is there any way in which we can figure out how you can go from 15 to 20%, which maybe is like one to two extra hours. And by doing that, you're actually helping them get into their flow work, which actually has you know, exponential results on productivity because there's a ripple effect on all the other work that they're doing. And you do the other thing, which is really powerful, where you communicate, hey, I see you, I hear you, and I care about you as a human being, you know, and this is why I want to figure out how you can do more of the work that like makes you come alive. And when you do that, you're going to reduce your your turnover, you know, you're going to have people stay longer, and then you're going to have people that are going to be more committed to you. Absolutely. I I just, I'm reflecting and this is great content. I just remember earlier in in my career, you know, new HR professional, um, a lot of this stuff is so heavy. And the feedback that I would get is, uh, you know, have a little bit more fun. 
And I'd look at somebody and be like, but this isn't fun. Right. <laughs> I'm dealing right. with problem performers. People are mad. I, don't, I can't hire enough people. Um, and even the ones I do don't stick around long enough to, you know, make a difference. And, you know, it's, it, it's really easy to lose sight of the, the fun stuff, yeah. uh, in, in the, uh, in, in kind of the muck. So, so what, what do you do when you're working with teams or when you're, when you're working through your process to reinstill that sense of fun and enjoyment in, in work? I, I think you have to tie it back to your why, right? Like, what are you doing there? Like, why did you start in HR in the first place? Like, let's figure that out. You know, we run a workshop called um, Your Future is Where Your Fun Is, right? And part of the reason why I say that is, you know, Stephen Johnson talks about um, you'll find the future where people are having the most fun. And if you look at the organizations that are most resilient right now, that are thriving in 2020, TikTok, Disney, Hulu, Netflix, it's because people are having fun there. Even, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't support Jeff Bezos at all, but, you know, when he started Amazon, he was tackling some of the most interesting issues in the tech world. And all the tech heads wanted to hang out with him because, because that was the most interesting place to be. So you have to think about that for you of just like, what are the way, what are the things that like drive me, right? So in our Your Futures Where Your Fun Is workshop, we actually ask people, what did you love to do as a kid, right? And, you know, my fr- I do it with my friend Lauren Yee and, and she goes, you know what I love to do as a kid? I love playing sardines, which is reverse hide and seek. It's such a fun game. Basically, somebody hides. Um, everyone looks for that person. If you find that person that's hidden, you hide too. And then you stack in like a pack of sardines until finally there's like eight people in a corner. <laughs> and one person's like, where's everybody? And everyone else is like, be quiet. Don't say anything. You know, I've done this with adults. It's hilarious. We like all hid underneath a house, you know? So like, it's great when you're a little tipsy too. Anyway. So I was like, what is it that you love to do? What do you, what do you love? Right. What do you love about sardines? And she was like, I love that it's creative. I love that it's collaborative. I love that it, it 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 has connection. And then we took those play values that she had and we're like, what of your work that you do in a given day or in a given week has those aspects or has all of those aspects? So I would challenge, you know, your your staff or you to like write down all the tasks, all the things that you do and and figure out what is what is it that is it is the the good stuff, the delicious stuff, right? And then start your day doing that work before you do anything else. Because when you do that, like I start my day with a TikTok, right? Like I make a TikTok video that has no ROI, has no productive value, but it positively primes my day to see the day as play, right? And then my friend Desiree taught me this trick of like, you ask this question, how can it get any better than this? So when something good happens or like I start my day in a fun way and then I go, Ooh, how can it get any better than this? Ooh, well then I, I was on a podcast with this, this guy, Chris Lynn, and he did such a freaking phenomenal interview. How can it get any better than this? I just got off the phone with a client of mine and inspired her to start making videos and take risks. Ooh, how can it get any better than this? Now Kyle and Molly and I are talking on the Rebel HR podcast. Let's go. You know, and then you 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 were stacking all those positive priming moments. Now on the flip side, what people are doing usually in a workday is first they look at the news which actually makes you 20 to 30% less productive. And then when they say they have a bad day, I challenge whether they had a bad day because what you had is you had a bad moment. And based off of positive psychology, thoughts only last between nine seconds and 90 seconds. So you had a bad moment and then you ruminated about that bad moment over and over again, like a thousand times in your head. And then you primed your mind to look for the next bad moment and the next bad moment and the next bad moment until you made up a bad day. And it's really hard in HR because you get shit on all the time. Like people are always throwing all the problems your way. So you're always feeling like you're getting all these bad moments. So by simply flipping it and being like, you know, Ooh, let me do something fun. How can it get any better than this? And being curious about how your day might go. That is how you can change your day and possibly change the way you work. Oh my gosh! I just had like a revelatory moment. It's like sweet. So I just heard I heard that, and I thought it's like when you get a new car, and then and you're driving, and you see that same car everywhere now. Yeah. 
and you never noticed the car before. <laughs> that is. What Am I on the same page? <laughs> right. Yes. That is exactly what your brain is doing all the time because your brain is looking for patterns, right? Like it's constantly looking for patterns to see whether there's danger or not danger. That's what your like, you know, prefrontal cortex or inner critic is doing. So when you prime your mind to look for good patterns, things happen. Here's another uh, tip that's really cool at meetings. You can actually positively prime a meeting by whoever starts the meeting. And this is before the meeting actually starts. Like, let's say the first people that, that join the virtual call, let's say someone is like showing baby pictures or showing their baby or something happy or they're telling about some happy story that happened or some fun thing they did during the weekend. You have now primed the meeting to be positive. So the meeting is going to be more productive. But if the first people on the call were complaining before anyone joins, productivity, you know, the meeting goes really badly, drops dramatically. So, and you don't even have to be the leader of the meeting. It's just the first person to speak. So, so should we just ban negative um, conversations in meetings? Is that no, how we fix I it? Think or? or the idea, like, you know, wh why are we complaining? Are we complaining just to complain? Because like, that's what we do here. Or are we complaining with the idea of like trying to solve a problem? Like you have had friends, right? That are, that are complaining and you're like, oh, you've said this so many times. Like you just want to tell them like, dude, just deal with it already. Break up with that person or whatever. Just, you know, but, but sometimes people just want to complain for complaint's sake. So it's cool if you say that like, hey, you know, I just want to word vomit right now and I just want to complain. Awesome. But at some point, then be like, okay, we're going to allow people to complain, but then, yo, now we got to actually address, let's let's actually figure out some solutions to this instead of just BSing around these problems. So how do you address the, the people? Because I, I guarantee you there are some people in the audience sitting here thinking, yeah, this sounds good. Uh, this, you know, this guy sounds cool and you know, <laughs> this is a fun premise. Right. But... Ha, ha, this this sounds a little bit you know fuzzy and right. you know kind of like one of these HR initiatives. You know how do you how do you address those people that are coming from a context of you know work sucks, deal with it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So so let's talk. I mean, let's talk about you know you know examples of of success, right? Like let's take for example Google. You know, with their twenty percent rule. They gave their staff a fifth of their time to uh, pursue things that interest them as long as it benefits the organization. From that, from that um, initiative, that is where Google Meet was created. That is where Gmail was created. You know, half so many of the billion dollar ventures that Google did were because they allowed their staff to play. Now you as like a smaller organization can't give your staff a fifth of the time, but you can find like an hour to give them an extra hour and just just see, don't believe me. Let's experiment with it. Right. You know, look at Tony Shea that ran Zappos like us, oh, such a huge loss. That dude would pay people three grand to leave his organization. Like they would be there for a month and he's like, you know, if you don't like the culture here because we are just super nerdy and we we actually are, you know how they always say like, be whoever you want to be, be your authentic self, but then they don't follow through with it. You know, he actually allowed people to show up however they wanted to show up, right? You know, blue hair and all. And then after a month, you'd be like, I'm going to give you $3,000 to leave. Do you want to leave? And then people actually stayed if they were really committed. So there's there's many examples of like what fun actually can do for the organization because think about the organizations that are not having fun. There was an organization not too long ago that was super stiff that heard these ideas and were like, "Uh, you know, I just heard about this really small organization, small company that is selling or send mailing DVDs to people like can you believe that and then they're now talking about like you know you, you can download a movie or watch it on your computer that's so dumb right yo guess what blockbuster's gone now because they were stiff because they were like because they weren't really willing to adapt or be resilient and frankly a lot of staff don't want to go back to normal right that you know there's going to be a drastic new normal where we can bring more humanity to work because right now 
85% of people are freaking disengaged at work. People can only focus, I think, for about two hours and 53 minutes of an eight-hour workday. So knowing this, knowing that all these studies communicate this, why would he be focused on trying to get them to do the best work that they want to do that actually will produce the, the most productivity for the organization? One thing I hear a lot of is organizations say, yeah, that's great for these companies that have the money or the build outs to create a fun base, right? But we are an old, uh, a building still in cubicles. How do you, you have to have the space to cultivate play and kind of in the same realm, like now that we're all in a virtual world, how has that shifted? So I think in the virtual world, this is where there's a lot of experimentation, right? You know, even if you can't move like the, this really old organization has been around for a hundred years, you can have an influence on your team. If you have any staff, you can start there. You know, um, I think it was Sinek who was Simon Sinek who was talking about it, where at this really bad organization, there was one team that was doing really innovative, creative things. And then people wanted to get part of that team. And and then, you know, leaders, a lot of VPs were like, what's happening with that team? Why is like, why are they producing at such an exponential rate? And then they started to adopt some of those practices. So you need to focus on what is within your circle of influence, right? Your circle of control. And instead of thinking like, oh, I got to change this entire organization. I got to change how the CEO approaches it. Just do it for yourself. First, identify what are the fun things that I want to do for me? Awesome. Okay, what are the fun things I want to do for my staff? Sweet that that make them come most alive. You know how can how can we take a problem that we always have and instead of doing it in the mundane way, you know, let's figure out a more playful, creative way of doing it. You know, one of the worst brainstorming sessions you can do is to have people go into a box room, you know, sit at a box table and be like, you have an hour. Come up with your best ideas. Like, let's think, let's rethink how we're going to do a brainstorming meeting. You know, maybe all of you are on your phone and you're all walking while you're on your phone and talking. Like, figure, try out different ways of positively prime the meeting. Like, just keep experimenting because I think the biggest problem we have is, is we lack hope and we're super pessimistic. So we're like, yeah, you know, it's never going to work here. Well, maybe it won't. Or maybe it will. Why don't we try it and just see what happens? So I think one of the one of the interesting things is as I'm reflecting on some of this advice is um, I, I'm thinking about your career path and uh, you, you strike me as an individual that you're going to find happiness wherever you are, and if you can't, you're not going to stick around. No. And I think about so many people that I know who do stick around and and just wallow in the misery and don't know how to get out of it so so when we have those employees that we know are just like they hate their job yeah they're they're totally in the wrong job but they're effective (laughs) they get it done yeah how how do we how do we break through that how do we get get through to people that hey work work doesn't have to be painful it's not always fun but there should be at least a little bit of fun How do we address that? Yeah, I think there's a few different ways to do it, right? There's first just modeling. Like, are you actually having fun at work? Like, are you actually showing how to do it, right? But I think then the next part is, is, and I would bring this up to staff, like, you know, some two of the biggest regrets of the dying is I worked too much. And the second regret is um, I didn't live, I didn't have the courage to live the life that I wanted to live but live the life that others expected of me. And I would take that when you sit down with that person and just call out the truth about it. Like, look, you've been here like five years. Like, I know you're burned out. I know you're not happy. I know you don't like what you're doing. What do you like to do, right? Is there anything at this job worth salvaging? And if there's not, then yo, let's brainstorm what is it that you actually want to do. And in the meantime, you know, you I'll give you some time to figure that out, but you'll find that because now you're communicating that you care about them, even if they don't stay at this company, 
all of a sudden their work gets better because they should you're showing that you actually like care about them like you you give a give a shit about them right so um that has a huge exponential like um increase in in connection right there because you're really like calling out the elephant in the room and yeah and you're showing that that even if it doesn't benefit me i'm still looking out for you absolutely i'm gonna put that in my office i'm gonna get that framed i give a shit about you (laughs) that's good yeah that that would probably work at my company yeah I have a question. It's a very, it's a very selfish question just because this has been one of my struggles. Like I've been in employers where we're all under one roof. It's a lot easier to cultivate fun, a playful culture, right? Now I'm in an organization where we have several different locations and it's a lot, it's a lot more challenging. What, what advice do you have? I think the advice. So interesting. Usually when people ask me that question, they're like, solve it. Give me the answers, right? I'll take that too. But there's there's something empowering about being like, get a bunch of the people that you know that also care about the same vision that you have, that you're like, I need to, we need to infuse more uh, play, more fun into this. We need to be more creative because I feel like we're kind of stuck right now, right? Find the other people that believe that like you and be like, yo, let's figure it out. Let's brainstorm this. Let's, you know, maybe over a little drinks, let's do have a tipsy storm, you know, over some, you know, uh, alcohol or chocolate or ice cream, however you want to do it. And let's brainstorm the craziest ideas of what we could actually try to pull off. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and then come up with this crazy list of ideas and then circle a few that resonate and then go to the go to the bigger group and try them out. Right. Or reach out to some of those people that may be disengaged and be like, yo, this is the problem we're trying to solve. Help me help us solve this. So you're actually empowering everyone to make the decision together because. The flip side of that is you're like, hey, I have this fun team building event that's going to fix everything. Or I have this fun team building a game. You know, we're going to do Secret Santa. Now everyone's going to be all good again. And it's just like, oh, I hate Secret Santa. You know, like, let's not have forced fun. Let's actually ask people, do you want to have fun or more fun at work? Most of the time people are going to be like, yeah, you know, okay. Are you willing to figure out how to do this? All right. You know, let's let's take some time and let's let's try to break this down and figure this out. We're all smart people here. Right. Setting expectations that I don't want to talk about the reasons why this won't work. Let's just bring some right. ideas and let's talk about how we can make them work. And and that is an improv exercise right there. The yes and where, where you yes and for 45, 50 minutes where no one can criticize anyone's ideas. They do that in improv all the time. That's what keeps an improv scene going. They never negate anything. They're always saying yes and this, right? Like, oh, you know what I think we should do? You know, um, I think we should give staff like an hour to pursue something that they think is interesting for like the next month. And then, and it's just like, oh yeah, yes. And, and whoever comes up with like a really creative idea, let's celebrate that person and let everyone know that like this happened because, you know, they devoted five hours in the last month to this. Oh, yes. And and then you just keep adding on to that and just see where these crazy ideas go, because you'd be amazed what you are going to be able to come up with when you like allow yourself to not poop on ideas. I think people would have a hard time with that in the best way, just because I think people naturally go to. Yes, but. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which drives me nuts, and, but and yes, great. And we actually run that in our workshop where we have people go and do a meeting where it's all no's, and then we have people go and do a meeting where it's yes, but, and then we have people do a meeting and it's yes, and, and then we ask them, how does it feel in each situation, right? And sometimes we ask people, well, I'll ask you, Molly, what's worse when you get a straight no or when you get a yes, but? Um... No, there's no right answer. It's just like whatever one that you feel. For me, it'd be yes, but because it's like, oh, great, here comes the argument. Well, and it's like, yeah, not even listening to me, really. They're already thinking of all the ways that it won't work, right? Or they give you hope where they're like, yeah, we could do that, but (laughs) you know, but some people are tried that 20 years ago. Oh, that's the worst. Other people might see the yes, but as a possibility, like, ooh, but they didn't say no directly, they you know, so. So again, it's just playing with 
language and and being like, hey, let's yes and and get get a little uncomfortable, you know, because I'm tired of just having a bad attitude coming to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's any uh, young HR professionals listening to this or young and career professionals listening to this, just know if you take a yes but as a uh, an approval to do something within HR, uh, it might in poorly take it from me. Right, right. <laughs> I've been <Yeah>. there. <laughs> right. I love that. I love that. And I, I'm just, I'm sitting here and um, I mean, this is just resonating uh, so yeah. much. Uh, today's been a good day. You know, I, I, today's been really positive and I'm just reflecting on, okay, how did I start? Um, I didn't watch the news. I turned on music when my day started. I'm a, nice. a very amateur musician. And, uh, and I hugged my kids in the morning before I went to work, Nice, you know, and, and it's like one of those things like, oh yeah, you know, I did have a really good day today and I, and it started good. Um, and then I think about yesterday wasn't so good and it's cause I turned on the, uh, CNBC and watched the stock market, you know, show up red. Right. <laughs> so it's like, right. yeah, maybe there's something to this. Yeah. And, and I would even do, I, I do this exercise at the end of the year because I really don't believe in resolutions. A lot of people give up in their res or forget. They literally forget their resolution three months in, right? But I was like, but wait a minute, you know, there is something worth reflecting on the year and then planning out the next year. So I came up with this thing called the Fun Joy Play Index. And it was all about like looking back at your year and being like, what was fun about this year? What was joyful about this year? What was like one of the most impactful things that happened this year? You know, and you can do the same thing at work. Where you're like, what what were we able to overcome? The fact that maybe our company's even still around is a huge accomplishment in 2020 when so many companies are going out of business, right? So the practice of gratitude, like so many studies have shown, you know, you write three grateful things at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, you know, after 30 days, you are exponentially happier. So if you're practicing these methods, even if they sound a little woo-woo, with your HR staff and and reflecting and celebrating the accomplishments you actually did make and and actually going back in your email and your calendar and you're like, oh yeah, we did do that in January. Wow, I can't believe we did that. That's actually pretty awesome. Then you're gonna actually feel like you got more done, you know, and you built something together with your team. I am a true believer in this. I do this every year. I do this on a quarterly basis with my team. Um, nice. And it's so amazing every time we do it, it because is. especially this year, everybody was so down in the dumps about the year. And you look back about uh, at everything that we've accomplished and you can just, it flipped. Like there were so focused on the negative and everything that went wrong, but there was a lot to celebrate this year as well. Right. Yeah. I'm, I a hundred percent agree. I was on a, on a walk with my son last night, nine-year-old uh, son, and I was, you know, I was talking to him about the year, and, um, you know, just kind of that open-ended, like, "Hey, you doing okay? Um, yeah, it's been a weird year," and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, everything's fine." And and the conversation uh, went from, you know, a, a point of concern to talking about all the good things, you know, more more family time. Uh, the the he, he got more screen time. He loves screen time. Nice. So, you know, this year was great for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the new normal for him is probably what he loves to do, right. uh, which is be on screens and create things on screens. And he's going to be a famous YouTuber someday nice. if, if he has his way, you know, but, but, um, you know, all of that creativity that, that he uh, embraced this year was unlocked because of the situation in 2020. So, right. you know, there's a lot of silver linings this year. I'm with you, Molly. And, and there's some resilience in in being limited. When you're when you limit are limited in a lot of ways, you have to get really creative, right? You know, and I think it was a, a study done by I think HubSpot that was like 63% of staffs, you know, in the workplace say they would be more productive if they got more positive feedback. And if you think about it, anytime you usually give feedback, you're giving that like that love sandwich where it's just like, I'm really want to give you bad feedback, but I'm going to pack in some positive just, but imagine if you're just giving just consistent positive feedback on a regular basis over the next like three months, watch what happens to your staff. They are going to light up and they're going to feel appreciated and they're going to produce in ways that you never thought possible. 
I love it. Well, we are we are unfortunately getting close to time. Uh, if if we were meeting face to face, I'd be like, let's just let's have another round and and go another three hours here. But uh, I want to be respectful of your time, so yeah. uh, we are going to move into the uh, HR flash round. Oh, I love the flash, flash round. Flash here round. we go. All right, flash round. Question one: What are you reading right now? Oh, I am reading uh, two books: um, How to Live a Good Life by Jonathan Fields. I'm reading that in a book club, and I'm I'm reading Anand Giridagas's book on winner winners take all, which is arguing. Um, should billionaires exist while people are still in poverty? Interesting. That's a whole nother yeah. show, I think. <laughs> yeah, <it's okay. laughs> Who should we be listening to? Oh, interesting. Well, I'll answer it in two, two ways, right? The first way is if 2020 has taught me anything – it's that no one knows what they're doing and we're all making it up as we go along. So the first person you need to be listening to is yourself, like practicing, strengthening, listening to your inner child, your, your intuition, you know, because you have all the answers that you need. Like I say this all the time, you know, um, advice only resonate. The advice I give people only resonates with you because you've already given that advice to yourself. And I'm just saying it in a different way. So that would be the first person that you need to listen to yourself. Um, if I was thinking of us of another person, I don't know. I'm really vibing with uh, Jonathan Fields. He runs this phenomenal podcast called The Good Life Project. And I just was on his podcast because he did a, a show just called The Hug. And it was all about talk, sharing stories of gratitude, you know, during this like really tough time and unity and being like, how can we give like a virtual hug to people? Because this, you know, this has been a really tough year for a lot of people. So Jonathan Fields. Love it. I'm going to have to check him out. I am not familiar. So it sounds like there's some good content there. Last question. This is a tough one. How can our listeners connect with you? <laughs> so if you want to see my ridiculous videos, um, my handle is Jeff Harry Plays, J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. Um or you can come to my website, rediscoveryourplay.com, uh, where I have a bunch of play exercise that teams can actually do as well as individuals to figure out who you are and how you can play more at work. Um, or you could just hop on a call with me when you click that Let's Play button and we can figure out how you can kick ass in this world and make a much more fun, psychologically safe place for all of us to work. Love it. Great, great conversation. We'll have all those details in the show notes, but um, we, we definitely have uh, gained a lot from this conversation, a lot of things we can take away for us in, in HR and, and uh, some ways to rebel against uh, some of the uh, systems, let's, right? Let's go. Got to tie it all together. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, Kyle and Molly. This has been super fun. Same here. Thanks again. Looking forward to uh, continuing to follow you and, and learn from you. Thanks, Jeff. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we have. No animals.